From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 187. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Casper, and Peacock. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. I'm back in my uh, garage now, and Alex Cox isn't like peering at me from behind a curtain. <laughs> so it it's be, different, be but it's the same. I think it'd be We're a little back. bit concerning. That would be a little weird, mm. like because I didn't invite her over if she was if she was lurking, but she's not. Our hashtag Snell Talk question this week comes from Will, and uh, this is baseball related because I understand that the season is open, or however it is you refer to it in baseball world. Sure. Um, yeah, the will, season is open. That's exactly open, what we say. Open for play. Mm-hmm. Uh, will wants to know, mm-hmm. Jason, if you had the ability to play for the Giants, which I believe are your team, San Francisco Giants, yes. uh, yep. what mm-hmm. position would you want to play, and what would be your walk-up music? Um, well, position wise, I always, uh, played when I played baseball in like little league, I was mostly a second baseman. So Mm -hmm. I would probably choose that. Although, uh, in rec softball in college, I sometimes played first base. So something like that. So you're a, you're a a catcher. You're in the field at that point, right? You (laughs) know, it's not a catcher is a position that is not generic term. So you can't say I'm a catcher. Okay. I, I, that would be. Literally, the catcher is the person who sits behind home plate and catches the pitches from the pitcher. Okay, and I'm I wouldn't I I, I did that a little bit too, but that's not that not for me. But Second that's base, your predominant like, is my role, natural position. is it then to catch the ball? Do you ever hit the ball? I don't know how baseball works. I am a, I'm very well. No, you also everybody who plays in the field also has to hit the ball. Okay, except okay. for the except in some circumstances for the pitcher who is sometimes swapped out for a a person who can hit better. right. But that's complication levels we don't want to. When you're not here. at bat, when you're not on that side, you you would be standing at second base. That's where you want to be. Yeah, and actually, okay. the second one of the things I had to learn when I was a kid and I was playing second base is that you don't stand on the base when you're second base. Second base is to uh, toward the first base side of hmm. second base. You stand because there's a shortstop who stands on the other side of second base. So of course, there is. It's complicated. Anyway, my walk up music, and I want to, I want to. Uh, just mentioned because it makes me laugh every time I think about it that my friend uh, Philip Michaels has explained that his walk-up music would be the uh, Soviet national anthem, which just I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's a wrestling reference, Mike. You might actually even get that one because sure. um, I think there was a wrestler who who they played. He was supposedly the uh, he was a heel and he mm-hmm. was uh, from the Soviet Union, and everybody would boo him as he entered to the the Soviet national anthem. Anyway, yeah. I uh, I think it's got to be "Don't Dream It's Over." by Crowded House, right? Like, I think that would have to be it. That's my walk-up music for uh, the Pundit Showdown podcast when we did that at, uh, at Macworld. So um, I think that would have to be it. That's, that's a good choice. And honestly, if I would have written an answer for you, that would have been the answer I would have written down. I know how yep. much you love that song. It's a great that's song. That's gotta be it. Gotta be it. So we have some follow-up uh, about iBooks author. Um, in the last episode, uh, after we were talking about the uh, education event, we are under the impression <laughs> that the inclusion of uh, digital book publishing tools or digital book creation tools, I should say, in pages meant that iBooks author was going to be dead. Um, but Serenity Caldwell confirmed of Apple that iBooks author is continuing as its own standalone product mm. and that the pages update is not a replacement for it. Um, it Continues think... to exist. Yeah. Uh, uh, we got our We had our shovels out. We were ready to bury it. And Serenity broke down the doors and was like, no, 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 it's still alive. Don't bury it yet. <laughs> Although I have a hard time believing that they're going to put much effort into mm-hmm. iBooks author. I hope I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's more likely that they would upgrade the book publishing stuff inside of pages and then keep iBooks author around just for the people who are 
are, are already using it. You can definitely do stuff with iBooks Author that you can't do with Pages. And that format is still supported in iBooks and only iBooks. Um, but this is good news for people like our friend David Sparks who who do books mm-hmm. in iBooks Author format that they can still do that and it's okay. And Jason, iBooks Author remains a product in our lineup, but there is nothing more to I, say about it today. Yeah, I actually asked somebody <laughs> at Apple about it. I actually asked somebody at Apple and I said, so iBooks Author continues to uh, be a product? And they said, yep. <laughs> I was like, all right, well. <laughs> uh, it will continue what, what, what with more can you say? the same or little as treatment as it has received over the last few years. I'm just imagining iBooks Author giving some, giving Apple like a big hug, like, thank you for keeping me around. And Apple's got like its arms out, like, mm, yeah, okay, stop hugging me now. Just or it's like got, you know, it's like it's 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 going for the hug, but it's making a face over iBooks author's shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear. Well, it still exists. It's still there. I mm-hmm. mean, I guess it's good because there are more tools in it, right? So, I, my my feeling is, it exists for now. I, I would be very surprised if they didn't just continue to make, like make pages better or write quicker than they make iBooks author better. But we'll see. Yeah. And we didn't do any upstream uh, last week because of the event, and there were a few interesting topics that we wanted to talk about. So let's get into that right now. Uh, we're going to start off by saying that Amy Polo, you may know from Parks and Recreation, who we mentioned in the last mm-hmm. week's episode because it was your favorite of the two between Parks and Rec and The Office, is making her directorial debut with Netflix. Um, it is a comedy movie called Wine Country. Uh, which tells the story of a group of old friends who go to Napa for a weekend getaway to celebrate a 50th birthday. It is a really great and huge cast, um, including uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Maya Rudolph, Rachel Dratch, and many more. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. Tina Fey yeah. is, of course, like going to be doing some kind of like walk-on role in the movie. Right? I think she's going to be in it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited the, to see this. So this is, this is fascinating because this is one of those questions of would this have been a... Would this have been a movie before, a theatrical release before, mm-hmm. and there's just no room for it? Or is this a smaller kind of story that would have been maybe 15, 20 years ago would have been a TV movie or something, which they kind of don't do anymore. And so now it's a Netflix movie. I don't know, but I or think this is like interesting. it never would have existed, right? Like it just maybe well, well, never would have happened. Well, yeah, because a lot of stuff, it's just, is there a, is there a place for, for something like this? And the advantage of having these streaming services is that they, they aren't as constrained as, uh, you know, a theatrical release especially would be. And the networks don't do TV movies anymore. So whether this is something that would have five or ten years ago been a relatively kind of low-budget, low-to-mid-budget uh, theatrical release or whether it might have been in the TV movie, like a little bit cheaper TV movie camp, which now the TV movies only really are like on on like HBO or things like that, or their films released on Netflix. So. Yep interesting and that's what that is what i mean i think amy paul is really funny and this could be really good but yep. i think it's also really interesting that this is not necessarily a, a, a piece of content that would otherwise have existed uh, as, other as than having a platform like netflix to put common with a lot of these types of productions like her production company is producing it um along with another production company owned by morgan sackett who was a producer of parks and rec a Parks and Rec writer is writing it with her, and she has, and she's bringing in a lot of like colleagues and friends, right? Like this is becoming extremely together. common with these types of movies because it's like the stars have got enough money to put this type of thing together on a small budget, but they haven't got enough money to put it in cinemas, right? right. 
because that's like yep. a whole different thing. Which well, needs- we, you know, the marketing cost of a major motion picture is vastly more than the cost to make the movie at yep. this point. So, yep. Yeah. So, you know, and so basically my expectation is, right, they cover the production side, Netflix covers the marketing side, and they call it job done. And this allows for Amy Poehler to get a directorial credit on her IMDb page, right? So she continues to build right. herself up. So like maybe in a couple of years time, she will have a feature film. Like this is this is this is why a lot of this stuff is is like so hot right now. I think because it's allowing a lot of really talented creators to get their foot in the door. Right. Well, this is and and you see how the business. I mean, there's a business aspect to this, which is the money and the the strategizing about like where where the money's going. Going to Netflix, you know, it's going away from things like the networks and and even uh, some cable. But it also has this creative. The, the in the end the money story the business story becomes a creative story too because they become uh, outlets for stuff that wouldn't have existed before and opportunities I, I was going to say the um, another example of this is just prestige the existence of prestige television has completely melted the uh, certainly for actors completely melted the distinction between film and television film film stars academy award winners do television now i can i could come up with multiple examples of academy award winning Mm -hmm. actors and actresses who are stars of of regular tv shows now right i mean that that i just watched the finale of uh counterpart last night with jk simmons oscar winner Uh, and uh allison janney has a sitcom and she's an oscar winner and you know the list goes on that's completely melted away and then for writers too there's that sense like writers you know tv is now a, a better place for writers and writers get to kind of run the show in a way that they don't necessarily in features because features are becoming more like a, a you know writer's room that is dominated by the the corporate uh organization that is investing hundreds of millions of dollars in each release because it's got to be marketed and targeted and all of those things and it's just it's fascinating that you get you know the the money machinery gets tweaked by in, in a lot of cases technology changes and but when the machine is running, then creative stuff pops out. And, and when you alter w- how the machine runs, different creative stuff pops out. And this is a great example of that. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Here's an interesting one. YouTube have announced a movie called Vulture Club. It stars Academy Award winner Susan Sarandon, <laughs> right? Eddie Falco and Matt Bomer. Yep. It's a drama. Yeah, multiple Emmy winner yep. Eddie Falco, yeah. Uh, it's a drama, and YouTube are planning for a theatrical release in 2018, and it will be ah, released on YouTube Red afterwards. And you say to yourself, "That's weird. Why are YouTube? Can they have their own subscription service? Why are they putting this movie into cinemas?" Well, let me tell you why. They want it to win an Oscar. That's why. Yeah, that that's it. That that is actually becoming a very common thing. Amazon has done this too in a few different ways. And and there are a couple ways to do it. One way you can put it in theaters is you can put it in a theater in New York and LA for a week mm-hmm. and it's eligible for the Oscars. But another way that some of these um, companies are doing it is they're giving it a theatrical release. Yep. Uh, maybe not investing massively in marketing and all that, but they give it a, a legitimate theatrical release and then they put it on their streaming service afterward. And that qualifies it for awards and also potentially, you know, it gets... 
In talking to uh, Tim Goodman from The Hollywood Reporter, one of the uh, which I do a podcast with every week, uh, one of the things that comes up is how hard it is to find stuff. And um, when you're a consumer, but like also, how does something get reviewed? Like, does a Netflix movie get reviewed? Do the movie reviewers review it? Do, do the TV reviewers review it? Or does it get caught? like lost in the cracks, right? One of the advantages of giving your film a theatrical release before you put it on streaming is it's a movie. Everybody understands it's a movie and the movie reviewers review it. Whereas Amy Poehler's thing, like who's going to review that? Yeah. Are movie reviewers going to review it? Are TV reviewers going to review it? Or is it going to be a neither fish nor fowl situation? So lots of smart reasons for doing this. Netflix goes back and forth on this too, where like Netflix mm-hmm. wants to win Oscars. And they have. They won an Oscar for documentary feature uh, for uh, that, that film about uh, Russia and the Russian doping scandal. Um, but Netflix also does direct to Netflix releases where they're not eligible and presumably they can win Emmy Awards for that. I don't know. That's... It's just a decision they have to make. Well, on that note, Netflix have been banned from Cannes um, because they are mm-hmm. not going to be putting their next movies in theaters. This is so ridiculous to me. This is so ridiculous. I, I find this to be so old school and stupid. Like, I don't understand why there is this, like, vice grip that they're trying to hold on theater releases when I know that there is an industry of people there that work that way, but there is a new industry building around streaming services and actors and actresses are finding and all production companies are finding new success in streaming services that wouldn't exist. Right. We were just talking about that. Like that Amy Poehler movie may not have ever existed, but it can exist because Netflix will put the money into it. But now they're being banned from award ceremonies because they don't, they don't want to kiss the ring of the old God. I find it so strange. Yeah, basically the Cannes Film Festival is saying you can't um, be eligible for any awards at Cannes. You can you can screen your films if you want, but you can't be eligible for any awards unless you get a full French theatrical release. And Netflix was like, "All right, we'll we'll put it out out for a week in theaters." And the the, the whatever entity approves or disapproves that disapproved it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. nope, that's not good enough. And you're right, it is. You know. Uh, look, at some point, either Netflix will decide that it's more important that they release the film in France because they want to get win the Palme d'Or in, uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, or the Cannes Film Festival will say, hey, uh, we would be better off letting Netflix come regardless. Um, eventually, something will give there. But you're, you're right. It is, it is resistance and fear. And I get it. If they are the extension of the cinema owners in France and more broadly around the world, then they may be saying, why should we give our cachet to this, uh, these people who don't want to be in our theaters? I, I get it, but um, it does seem Yeah, I understand a little, it. Uh, I just think it's, foolish. The, it's the wrong move. I mean, I think even, you know, if you want to look down on them, create a best streaming movie award, right? Like, they're not eligible for the big ones, but you can give yeah, them Yeah, well, eligibility... Award. Award eligibility is a little silly anyway, right? Like the Academy Awards, if I make a movie and it is the best two hour, you know, whatever is in the, what is it, 67, 70 minutes, whatever, whatever the, the feature length is up upward, and it's the best one of those in the year, but it didn't go in a theater in LA for a week. It just went on to Netflix, but it's by far, everybody agrees, the best movie of the year. 
why shouldn't it be eligible for an Oscar? And the yeah. answer is, well, there's got to be some eligibility requirement, and that's it. So you pay your money to a theater. And what, what the, the kind of film festival is saying is, no, that's not good enough. We're not going to let you skate in. You got to like be a real movie in with a real release, or we're not gonna be about you. And yeah, fair enough, I guess. That's it's their, it's their trophy. It's mm-hmm. their, it's their festival. It's interesting that they're not banning them from coming. They're just banning them from oh, getting yeah, awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can come, yeah, pay us money, <laughs> please, bring please. your, mm-hmm. yeah. But just don't. Anyway, it is uh, fascinating to see how industries that are changing or dying uh, react to that change, and this is an example of that. And finally today, the New York Times have a report about Apple's upcoming video service and provide uh, some information that we hadn't yet gotten, um, Mm -hmm. or at least some clarifications from wherever New York Times are getting their sources, whether it's from Apple, which it very well could be, or others. I I can tell you where they got this source, because they they actually said... Apple is saying to people that they're talking to now about doing shows. Okay, okay. That... So it's obviously from those people. So they're getting it from movie executives, right? Right. It's whoever they're making the deals with. They're, they're saying to those people that they're targeting spring or summer of 2019 yep. to launch this thing, which I I will refer you back <laughs> to my previous... I felt good when I read this. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Because it was, you know, I said like a, quite a while ago, like almost a year ago now, that there's no way that they could get this done before... At, at earliest late 18 and here we go they're they're actually not even going to try to hit it late 18 apparently it's going to be early to mid 19 before they get it out there because this stuff it, it it takes a long time to make tv shows it it really does and they've got to have enough of them ready to go that they can start releasing them and promoting their service and they they uh, they can't just trickle them out episode by episode they've got to They've got to get a bunch of them ready to go. So spring, summer 2019. I, I expect we will probably start seeing the first trailers around iPhone time this year. I, I think they might start right. like trickling stuff out then to like try and start building the excitement for it. Could be. Um, all, the New York Times also says that Apple is on track to spend significantly more than the previously reported $1 billion budget. Right. I wonder if that was their uh, their, their content budget to get going in, in 17, and now that they're in 18 or or talking about 19, that they're like, well, that, that was the, the first billion. Now we're into the next year. Now we've got a couple I mean, more billion. It could just be spend. the possibility that when they started on this process, they found out that people were a lot more open to them than they had originally thought that they would be. Yep. And now it's like, well, okay, we have a lot of interesting stuff on the table. Let's ramp that budget up, right? You, well, and keep in mind, it's, I mean, it is rolling too. Like they don't spend a billion dollars and then walk away. The, the, this is you know, To be honest, yep. when you have a billion dollars to spend on launching your service, guess what? Year two, you spend a billion and a half more mm-hmm. year three you spend two billion <laughs> year and, four and you really, spend really four billion that you've got a lot of subscribers by that point right. <laughs> right although you're apple you've got a giant cash pile so you can afford to do that for a very long time so um yeah they're going to keep spending money and we're going to keep talking about uh, this in general and about apple's strategy in particular here but they keep making deals and um and they are gonna it's a real thing like this is gonna be a real thing competing with netflix and amazon and disney and uh, you know hulu and anything else that is uh that is out there apple is going to be an hbo and and all of that apple's going to be in the fray they are the you know this is all still a little theoretical now but um it's it's going to happen and we're going to be they're going to be apple tv shows that's 
it's already in the works. And so next year, I had that moment where 2019 seems so far away, and then you realize it's not that far away. When I finished the season finale of Counterpart last night, Mm -hmm. they ran a trailer that said season two... 2019 and i thought oh god 2019 oh that's just next year okay <laughs> i maintain like in thinking about this i'm really pleased we started doing this regular segment because by the time this service comes around i'm gonna know so much about the way this business works that like i'm gonna feel confident in talking about it well you know I'm, there's happy. something to be said for that for the fact that that by getting on this early and we have heard from a few people who are like oh i'm not as interested in that stuff. i get okay, why people don't like it i mean fine. i understand i think it's I think it's fascinating because it's a way that technology changes are leading to massive changes in this whole other industry that most of us are consumers of in one way or another. But Apple's presence in it, I think, makes it even more a fit for the charter of this podcast because, uh, yeah, we don't want to like not pay attention to it. And then Apple announces a service and we suddenly look up and go, oh, what's this service about? Like we're we're talking about it from the from the very beginning and mm-hmm. trying to get a handle on what they're doing and, and, and how they're doing it. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see it and I'm excited to see the shows and I'm fascinated to see how they roll it out. And will they, how do you communicate a trailer of content for a service that you haven't announced? And would they announce it six months in advance? Or would they just say, well, we've got something coming next year that we're not going to talk about, but here's a trailer of whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how they communicate this stuff. So that's going to be fun to watch. Today's show is brought to you by our amazing friends at Pingdom. The reason Pingdom are awesome, and the reason that I find them amazing, is because they help keep your sites and the sites that you love online. Pingdom will monitor any site that you want to throw at it so you don't have to, and they will give you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times if you need it. Look, this is because, and let's be real, stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 outages every day. And this is just of the websites that they're monitoring. There are many, many more outages than this. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're maintaining a huge infrastructure, it's incredibly important to monitor its availability and performance because things break. You don't want to have to find out that your site's down you never want to know you never you know it's never a good thing to hear but if you have to hear it you want to get that stuff fast you don't want to wait until somebody sends you a tweet or an email and that's why you need pingdom it's easy to get started all you need is to give pingdom is the url that you want to monitor and they will take care of the rest go to pingdom.com slash relay fm right now and you can get a 14 day free trial with no credit card required then when you sign up use the code upgrade at checkout and you will get a huge 30 percent off your first invoice that is pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now and get that 14-day trial with the code UPGRADE at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their continued support of this show and RelayFM. So the education event was a week ago. Yep. And there's been a lot of uh, discussion and thought that's come out since. And I think it's I think it's good that maybe we should touch on some of these things. I've got a couple of quotes that I want to read and we can talk about um, some, some thoughts from some observers. And I know there's some stuff that you want to fill in as well, having had some time to think about and discuss this uh, in a little bit more detail. So first off, I want to read uh, a couple of quotes from Bradley Chambers, who was uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's written some pieces for 9to5Mac. Um, Bradley, if you don't know Bradley, has long managed large, huge deployments for Apple devices in education. Uh, so he knows what he's talking about. And he, has a, he actually has a regular column at 9to5Mac now, which started a few weeks ago, which is kind of the perfect time for him and for them. So that was like a, that was a good coup. Uh, Bradley compared the 2018 event to the 2012 event. Um, that's what he was looking at in one of his articles, because that 2012 event was the education event that we mentioned where they introduced the textbooks. And he kind of said that really, if you look at that 2012 event, everything that was announced 
hasn't really gone anywhere. Like all the textbook stuff, it didn't make a big impact. And was and so this is what he said. As I rewatched the 2012 keynote and pondered the 2018 keynote, I realized that Apple is yet again trying to craft a future for education that I am not sure fits with reality. So Bradley cites some issues being device prices, the timelines of having to implement new features and kind of when Apple are introducing them, and that potentially they're focusing on the wrong places. And he talks about the fact that Google targets IT departments with their features, not educators, because that's where it's deployed. And this is why Google are making headway. And he says, Google is touting ease of management and deployment. Apple is touting new apps with Apple Pencil support. I really liked this because it's showing some of the practicalities that go into these decisions when Apple seems to be way more focused on trying to woo people and Google is maybe a little bit more down in the trenches and showing IT yeah. departments why their stuff's easy to deploy. Yeah, it's um, the, the, the whole thing here. I mean, look, if you're Apple, you've got to go with what you've got. You, you literally... <laughs> Yeah, and they don't sell. have the IT management stuff. They don't yeah, have that You can't down. sell what you don't have. Yeah. Also, I would argue this is so familiar, and I think I said this last week, but I mean, this is so familiar because it's, you know, when people are talking about this education market, it, I hear a lot of market share arguments, which again, Apple losing share and Google gaining share is important, but like Apple's goal is not purely market share. So that's part of it. And also, I hear things that remind me of the old days of the Mac versus PC in uh, in businesses, where it comes down to who's got a better story for the IT managers. And back in those days, the answer was always Microsoft owns the minds of the IT managers. Apple basically is trying to own the minds of the, in those cases, it was like the workers and the executives so that they... They say, well, yeah, I know it's easier if you have Windows PCs, but we want Macs. And here, Apple is trying to communicate to teachers and talk about how great their products are for students and how much students like them, too. And they're not as strong to the IT people. Um, and so this is this is a really familiar game in a lot of ways where Apple has to lean on the stuff that it feels that it's stronger at and make, a, make an argument that basically is like, yeah, I know you're... Uh, tech administrator at your school would rather just deploy a bunch of uh, of uh, Chromebooks, but uh, look how much teachers and students love what we do. You should probably authorize them to buy this and tell your guy not not to buy those Chromebooks. And that's just, I mean, I think that's the game they have to play because <laughs> that's those are the cards they've got. So <laughs> they need to go that direction. Um, that's that's where their strength is. They're, they are trying to get better in terms of the services stuff. They're never going to be as good as Google at it, but they could be better. Um, I've actually heard a bunch of people say that like device management stuff that Apple should should like buy Jamf because if like you need you need uh, management stuff like Jamf in order to get the the iPad management to be good enough, and uh, so maybe you know, maybe Apple should acquire there or they should improve their own stuff, but they're never going to probably match Google and Microsoft at that game. But they've got this other game that they're pretty good at. So that's sort of the game they're playing. And, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a fascinating thing to see this, uh, such a similar story playing out that played out involving Apple, you know, not too many years ago with a completely different product set in a different uh, a different market. 
And then we have uh, Carol Anna Milanese, who is a frequent guest on Jason's show, Download on Relay FM. Um, she mm-hmm. was writing for Tech Pinions. And this is, a, this is a longer quote, so give me a moment. Um, I know many will evaluate Apple's opportunity only by considering the price of the new iPad, which is, of course, high when compared to most Chromebooks, and especially once you add the case on the pencil or crayon. But a way I think about it is that with the iPad, you get more than a computing device. You get a camera, a video camera, musical instruments, and now a drawing board and support for AR. AR support is particularly interesting as it would allow schools to experiment with more immersive teaching without having to invest in a separate headset, as is the case with VR and mixed reality. In this way, justifying the price is much easier. If you're investing in an iPad to continue focus on traditional work of text, charts, and slides, you would be better served by a lower price device with a good productivity suite. So it makes sense to me, right? It, um, but, but it, but it, the thing is, I feel like when I look at stuff like this, it's like perpetuating this idealistic view of teaching, which I don't know if it exists, right? Yeah, I uh, I don't either, and it definitely is. The, that's the the Apple take on it. This is this is sort of Apple how Apple is selling this, and it makes it makes sense. Um, I I get what Apple's trying to do here, right? And I and I like what it's trying to do, which is saying, look, with Apple, you're making an investment on doing more with technology and with your students and having them do AR and uh, making videos and making music and all sorts of other things that Apple has advantages over the competition in. I get that. I I get the argument from the other side as well that that uh, you know that the price is uh, pretty dramatically different and that in the end teachers just need to do and schools just need to do this stuff that they are required to do and th- it's not the whizzy AR stuff it's the more uh, prosaic, uh, you know, testing and, and 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 turning in reports and things like that. At the same time, I gotta say, I don't like the idea that I think I see from some people who argue essentially that what a computer is is a spreadsheet and a word processor and a slide maker. Like Google Docs has got those, right? Google Apps has those features. And there are people who seem to think that that's what technology is. That's what students are need most. Um, and I, I think I just I get really depressed by that because that that seems to me again to be a version of that same argument, which is the Microsoft argument from the old days, which is what is computing but Office? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a lot more than that. And I know that Chromebooks do more than this you can, that you can do a lot more with chromebooks than just use google apps but the argument for them seems to be a lot about that like you got to use the keyboard for this test and you got to do this thing and you know i i i want to side with the group that's saying you know a, a crappy laptop with a keyboard assumed to be the default is maybe going to change and maybe you, we should be agents of change and say that you don't always need a crappy laptop with a keyboard, that maybe having a tablet is better and will make everybody uh, have more stuff that they can do and cool stuff and it will change the world instead of and, and being kind of pro the idea that things are going to change instead of being the agent of the status quo. And agent of the status quo is a very sensible position to take. And there are a lot of reasons why the status quo remains. Um, I always have that little red flag that goes up. It's like, I mean, we had this conversation on download, I think last week, which was, 
are people really going to need physical keyboards? And um, one of my panelists said, people will always need physical keyboards. And the other panelist, who is uh, quite a bit younger, said, eh, maybe not. And I think that's, again, I'm a physical keyboard guy. I would have a hard time adapting, although I did, you know, try to put my mind in the in the thought of like, what would a really good, you know, touchscreen keyboard uh, device be? Because you could make it really good. But I am not somebody who's inclined to bet on the status quo and, and say, well, yes, there will always be physical keyboards because, I don't know, change is a really powerful thing. And um, and so this is my long way of saying that I totally get the argument for the sensibility of Chromebooks. But what Apple's tapping into is this other thing, which is, can't we strive to do more? Can't we try to be different? Can't we try to do new and interesting things? And the only way new and interesting things are going to happen in any area, but in this particular area, is if you try to do things differently instead of just doing things the same old way. And again, I will say this plays into Apple's strengths. That's why Apple's making this argument. But this is a traditional strength of Apple. This is not a new argument they're making that they're just making now because it's all they've got. This has sort of always been the Apple argument for stuff, and it continues to be. So I've been thinking about this too, right? And, and I know we've been talking about it. Like, And a lot of this stuff comes down to price as well. Like there is this idealistic view, yeah. which of course, like I'm sure that there are so many educators that really want the idealistic view and that these tools will really help them to, you know, to, to kind of uh, expand their curriculum a little bit, right? You've got to learn the same stuff, but there might be some cool ways you can do it, right? And I think that's kind of what Apple are hoping that people will do. But the other part, the other big stumbling block is price. And I know that we were kind of chatting about some ways that potentially this stuff can be made easier. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 two things here. First, that just on bare price, I think it's fair to say that unless you're a technology buyer at a school, you probably don't know the, the details of this. My understanding is that although Apple stuff is more expensive than the Google Chromebook solution, they're not. you can't just take their list price and multiply it. It's different than that because there are different prices um, and there are leases. And so one of Apple's arguments that Apple makes is, um, for example, that most iPads, and this is true at my son's school, most iPads are leased. They're not purchased by the school district. They're leased for, you know, three, four years. And then they're turned back in and there's residual value there. Those the, They get credit for the value that remains on those iPads and then they get resold or whatever somewhere else. Resold, released. Um, and, and the argument is that the value retained by Chromebooks after three years out in the field is a lot less. That the And, and again, I don't have... Uh, corroboration here, but my understanding just from you know talking to people theoretically about this, and certainly this is Apple's argument, and I've talked to people at Apple who've made this argument, is you know basically Chromebooks are are they're one hundred ninety nine dollar, one hundred fifty dollar laptops. They're they're kind of cheaply constructed in order for them to be that, and there's less residual value or no residual value when those things get turned in because they're beat up. Now, that's the sales pitch from Apple is that it you know. The, the leases change the finances to a certain degree. Apple's still more expensive, but that the math, it's closer than you might think. And that you maybe don't buy a pencil for everybody, but the pencils stay in one class. That you know, There are ways to mitigate that. Now they have the, the, uh, the crayon as an option that, that cuts that price. They are building this case. I got a chance to handle that uh, forthcoming uh, Logitech uh, iPad case. 
The rugged. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. I mean, it makes it feel like a laptop. It's it's a detachable keyboard, so you can use it like a like a, a tablet. But it is putting a, a, that sleek iPad in a blocky box. But it means that it's rugged, and it it uh, it it turns it into a laptop essentially, which is pretty funny. Um, it's, it, it adds a lot. Like I would, I, I'm not somebody who likes a big case on my iPad anyway, because I feel like it adds so much weight to a product that it, one of the great things about it is it's so small. Yeah. Anyway, so th- there's the, there's the least argument. I think there's the larger argument here, right? Which is something that, um, that I've heard people make, but we, we get so focused on the technology and it's like this event laid down the argument to us, which was Chromebooks or iPads. It's like, all right, we can have that conversation. We just had that conversation. I do think it's fair to say there's another conversation that we should probably not be the ones to have, but there is a conversation to be had about technology in schools, because I think you could make a strong argument that, and actually I remember uh, Casey Liss made this argument briefly, at least on ATP last week, which is you could make the argument that the money that schools spend on technology purchases should probably go to paying teachers better, getting more materials in schools. Like there's an argument to be made that technology is not a solution, that that tech companies are constantly trying to sell in ed- into education and saying that it's the solution and it's going to make your school better and it's going to make your students smarter and all of these things. And this has been going on for 30 years, maybe even 40 years now. And it's unclear my understanding is it's unclear if that's really true. There are very specific places where computers in schools make sense. You need to teach people how to be a computer programmer. Makes total sense. Some multimedia stuff totally makes sense. But a one-to-one program, you know, there is an argument, and I'm not saying it's right, but there is an argument to say that that the money that goes into buying everybody an iPad would be better spent somewhere else in improving the quality of the education. And uh, I wanted to at least voice that because I, I, I think it's a fair question. And Google and Apple are not going to have that, are not going to talk about that question because their goal here is not to change the world. (laughs) It's to sell products. (laughs) That's the goal. That's the goal here. I am definitely at the camp that I personally don't believe that like every class requires keyboards and computers like, right. i think that it's perfectly fine for kids to handwrite essays like i, I well, don't premise, think that I, it is required that there has to be a, a keyboard in like every single lesson for all of the stuff to be typed i just don't know if that's required i mean i know i didn't learn that way and you know and like i know that the majority of people that have ever been to school in human history have not done that so i don't know if it is a requirement as much as it is a nice to have in some areas, required in some areas, and is being heavily pushed by these companies because they want to make sure that they're the company that people use forever. Yeah, which I, I actually, um, and I think I might have said this last week, but I, I dispute I dispute that premise too. There, there is this view of like, well, you know, you get them when they're young and you own them forever. But it, th- that was a premise that came up when people didn't have computers at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and they would go to school and they would get that Apple II and, or, or, a, or a PC or a, or a Mac. And you'd be like, oh, yes, and now they're going to be loyal to us forever. Um, first off, I know lots of people whose first computer was an Apple computer in school, and then they were a PC person after that. So 
I'm not sure that actually worked, but that was part of the narrative anyway. And second, like today, people have technology throughout their homes. I'm not convinced that using a Chromebook in schools means that you're going to be tied to Google forever. I just, I, I, I don't, I question the entire premise of that too. But I think you're right. I mean, you're making an argument uh, that is sort of, we've always done it this way, so why should it be any different? <laughs> Which is not my favorite argument to be made, but no, I get no, what you're I'm, saying. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I completely understand why there are things we should advance. I just don't know if it's needed for everything, right? Like, I don't know if and, an iPad is needed in every single class a student takes. Well, the, so the argument for the one-to-one program, uh, whatever the technology is, is that at that point, students are no or teachers are no longer thinking, well, we're going to get the technology for one class or one week or whatever, and we'll use it to do a unit that uses the technology. Instead, the idea is once you know that everybody's got one, you can just have it be, it's just a tool. It's just mm-hmm. like a like a backpack or a pencil. We, we assume everybody brings a pencil to class and paper to class, a notebook or whatever. And therefore, I can ask you to put something in your notebook and sure. you can do it because you've got a pencil or a pen and you've got paper. So the idea with the one-to-one program is similar. It's the idea that you can just... Just put everything in Google Classroom, for example, which my sons, even though they use iPads, that's what they do, that that the grade tracking is there, the assignment tracking is there, things get turned in there, apps, they know what the apps are that are on the systems so that they can say, let's all open this app and do this thing. And there's advantages to doing that because it's just assumed that it's there. So you use it when it's useful rather than trying to construct sort of like a technology. Now we're going to get the cart in here and do computer things and instead just say, look, the computer is just a tool as part of the education process. And and again, I don't have studies or anything to tell you whether that's good or bad, but that's the idea. And I, I like the idea of that. By the way, as an aside, I find it funny that the very week that Apple had its education event and we started talking about this stuff, the something went wrong in the management system that my son's middle school uses. And a lot of iPads had like their apps and documents deleted. <laughs> and my son was talking to one of his friends about it. Like, yeah, I lost this thing and I lost this thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, a lot of people lost that thing. So that's that's the other uh, the other side of this is what happens when uh, something goes wrong in the school management system and stuff gets deleted off of kids uh, kids devices. The dog is in the school and it's eating everybody's homework. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's let's leave it there on education for today. Uh, All right. I'm sure more stuff will continue to come up. Um, I'm not a luddite. Like I, <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Uh, it's just my case. I just get a little bit. Like I, yeah. I question, what's, I question what's wrong with the people motives. using pens, Mike. Well, I do. Well, why believe, would you want? No, you know, I, why would you I, be a proponent of pens? I don't like the idea of a future generations growing up without having strong abilities in reading and writing, like with with pens and paper, right? Like mm. d- everything being on screens. Like as much as, of course, I spend my entire time on them now. I think having the base skills of just being able to express yourself in that way are important. So it, it just makes me a little bit skittish. I don't, I don't know. It know. sounds like you're in the uh, in the pocket protector I'm of Big the, Pen. Oh, you know, nice. Very good. Very, very good. Very good. And I'm just going to leave it there. Today's episode okay. is brought to you in part by our friends over at Casper, the company focused on sleep, dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You will spend a third of your entire lifetime sleeping in your bed. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, don't you want to make sure it's the best it could possibly be? This is why you need a Casper mattress, because they are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. Casper mattresses have all the right support in all the right places. 
So what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? Well, they combine supportive memory foams for multiple of them, in fact, many, all the great memory foams for a quality mattress <laughs> with just the right sink and bounce. Their mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. With over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper because they have a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They will deliver directly to your door. And if for any reason you don't love your mattress, they have a hassle-free return policy. Jason, did you take advantage of the hassle-free return policy, or do you in fact love your mattress? No, I love my mattress, and I, I kept my mattress. In fact, we just had a moment the other day where um, where my wife was drinking tea in bed in the morning, and I sat down on the bed, and she she and she said to me, "Oh, I had a moment when I was going to brace myself because the tea was going to slosh and spill all over me." And then I realized, "Oh yeah, we have a Casper mattress that doesn't happen anymore." No, it used to happen with the old mattress that was like a trampoline, but the new one, nope, it's solid, it's great. So no, I we kept it uh, past the hundred days, and are now headed for a thousand days, I think. You can get $50 towards select mattress purchases by going to casper.com slash upgrade and using the code upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That is casper.com slash upgrade and the offer code upgrade for $50 towards select mattress purchases. Our thanks to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. So there were a heck of a lot of software updates that came out uh, towards the tail end of last week for basically all of Apple's major platforms. Um, None of them were whiz-bang wonderfulness. So we're going to kind of, I guess, round up all of the little tidbits that we found interesting or important that came from the releases. Uh, I think the biggest was 11.3. It has the iPhone battery settings screen in it, which is hilarious to me because that feels like a really long time ago that we were talking about that now, yeah. and here it is. Like, that was back before Christmas, right? That was back before <laughs> yep. the holidays. And, mm. <laughs> and here we are. It's out in 11.3 now, like some four months later, basically. Um, the screen is, I find it honestly uh, a little bit incomprehensible. Like, I don't fully understand. Like, it feels like things should be buttons, but they're not buttons. It's a strange little screen. Um, it yeah. is a beta, You can see why Apple uh, didn't want to show this to people. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you know, obviously my results are as they would, I would expect. My phone is at 100% battery health, which I would expect because it's still new, right? Um, I, it was interesting. Uh, Stephen Hackett saw that his uh, wife's iPhone SE was at 90% battery, which he bought when it debuted in 2016. So that was quite surprising to see that, you know, that, that the battery still counted to be that good. Um, I haven't seen anybody reporting lower percentage batteries anywhere, um, but it's there now. The screen is there. It's something you can keep checking in on if you want to. Uh, I don't expect to ever look at that screen like ever again, I guess, um, because I now know that even if I kept the phone for a couple of years, it would probably be in pretty good condition but it's there if you want it um i genuinely think honestly it's probably just going to confuse people more than anything else but apple did need to add it because as you know to reiterate all the conversations from december of 2017 they badly communicated it to people and i think um it's one of those things where they would rather not have a conversation and they would rather have not people obsess over it but some people are going to obsess over it some people are going to wonder they're going to have a friend who says well, I don't know. Did you check the battery? That battery, Apple's got problems with batteries or whatever. And they're like, oh, is there a battery setting? I'll go check it. Oh, it's fine. I'm fine. I'll, 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 it's, that's not it. I'll move along or whatever. Um, this is, uh, I, I, uh, I will say I talked to somebody who works in Apple retail who told me that, um, 
that the battery thing has been a huge drain on Apple retail because yep. Yep. you know everybody said bring in your phones and and then they get really angry when they they're you know they've got people doing battery swaps all the time like at high volume as high volume as they possibly can and still people come in and they wait in line at the they drive to an Apple store which can be far uh for some people and uh, they wait in line and then they're told um no you actually need to come back in 2 weeks and do this again cuz we can't take care of this right now and that makes them angry and if you look at yelp reviews for apple stories you'll see those angry people in the yelp reviews and it's one of those things that i think apple made the right decision on a large scale in terms of uh making that controversy go away and it totally did like by saying no no we'll fix it it's fine um just bring it in they like the media story ended but my understanding is there is this like follow-on corrosive effect to the story, mm-hmm. which is the that at, at retail now you're getting pile-ups of people with batteries, and um, they, they that is a that is a problem that makes people angry at Apple on a f- personal like close basis instead of the kind of like global media firestorm. But it's still an issue for them. The advantage of something like this this information is it does potentially let a user, a friend of the of the person who has the phone, or somebody at the Apple store, be able to point at it and say, no, you're actually fine, and have them leave or not come in. And that that is helpful, even though it's more complexity and it's weird, and Apple would rather not communicate this stuff. I like that it's there just because it's another thing that people could cite. But I definitely get the sense that Apple retail is having a having a really hard time uh, keeping in mind too that after the holidays which is when this all went on after the holidays apple retail traditionally cuts back on staff hours mm-hmm. because it's out of the holiday period so now they're down staff and dealing with a massive influx of people who want their batteries checked or replaced so it's, uh, it's uh yeah yeah so anyway I, I think it's tough times in in apple retail land right now so if this provides a little more clarity or cushion or something for people then um that's good that's a good start uh 11.3 also included ar kit 1.5 which has a bunch of advantages like being able to detect vertical surfaces previously it was on the horizontal surfaces mm. so it could detect like tables and floors but not walls so that's great yeah. to have that um uh, ar kit can now map irregularly shaped objects so if you've got like a i don't know a pointy wall or something who knows uh 50 greater resolution and the ability to use autofocus so apparently from reading around and, and i read this on mac stories these were the things that developers were asking for and apple have added them really quickly like the the amount of stuff that they've actually added in the advancements that they've taken for ar kit 1.5 these were the things that people were expecting Apple to debut at WWDC this year. Right, and, and ship in the fall at yeah. iOS 12. But they've just and put it out now. So apparently this should make ARKit apps a lot, lot better. Um, I'm excited about the 50% greater resolution and autofocus. So I'm expecting this is going to help the images look better and it work in the dark, like it work in not great lighting better. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm going to keep my eye on this like to kind of to see apps that I use and have installed to see if they're going to like mention that they got 1.5 AR kit added and see what that does. I think it's also an interesting thing for um, we talk a lot about Apple's cycle with with software and things that they they say they may be or reports are they may be slowing down on when we look at what's in this 11.3 ARKit is a good example like maybe apple also has decided they're not going to hold some major stuff 
until the next you know fall release if they don't have to. And I, I actually am really encouraged by that. I'm very excited by the fact that Air Kit 1.5 shipped now because yeah, I know it's a you know it's a follow on to that first AR Kit release, and that there were probably lots of things that they w- didn't have ready, or that they really wanted to knock down quickly and get it out there so that they could press their lead on it. That's all true, but still, the fact that it's out now and not in six months is it's a big deal. That's a big deal. There are now music videos in the music app, um, and Apple debuted a lot of music videos. I think some kind of like exclusive music videos too. Uh, really this feels like very basic video support it's kind of strange like you can't airplay the videos the video player is kind of weird like it doesn't it doesn't do full screen in the way you'd expect it's very strange you know it, it basically is in the same way that all of the tv shows inside of uh apple music feel strange so do the music videos but they have them there they have playlists and you can queue playlists up you can take all the advantage of the features in apple music but with music videos now too um, new Animoji. There is a lion, a dragon, a bear, and a skull. Uh, great additions. Yep. They're fun. Um, I demoed Animoji to my uh, five-year-old nephew yesterday, and he was losing his mind. So that was really <laughs> fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, Animoji for me, like I use it. I use them for stickers every now and then. I don't recall videos. I'm still just waiting for like an actual emoji face. Then I would use it all the time. Just let me make my own emoji faces, like. Let me let me oh, yeah. make the shocked emoji face instead of there being like a lion. I mean, I'm still hoping that they'll add that at some point. Um, and then the last, I think, the last big thing in 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 eleven three is the health records thing. So, there, your personal health records can be stored in the health app if you're a patient of a partnering facility, which seems like a really cool thing. But it's one of those things that I know I'm never going to get because they're probably never going to expand outside of the US. And even if they do, you have to be like a very specific hospital, right? Like of the partner hospitals are going to do it, blah, 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 blah. But it's cool if you've got it available to you. I think more interesting for me, Jason, than what's included in 11.3 is what isn't. So things that were in the beta process that haven't been, that have been removed. AirPlay 2 and iMessages in the cloud. So... These were both things that were in the beta processes, things that were both announced at WWDC 2017, and they're still not shipping. So let's assume now that these won't come in 11.3.1, right? They would maybe come in 11.4, which we know will exist because they spoke about it last week. And this is slated for a June release, which is going to bring a lot of the support for the educa- some of the education stuff. So we know that 11.4 is coming. So let's assume that AirPlay 2 and Messages in the Cloud are in 11.4. If they are, this is a year after the features were announced and four months yep. after the HomePod shipped. And the HomePod mm-hmm. was the poster child for AirPlay 2. But this is even assuming that they will ship it at 11.4. It is possible that these might be pushed to 12. That well, is why I, I think... I think if they can't get them in 11.4, that's what will happen next, right? I think it would be amazing if they got them in an 11.4 release. And, mm-hmm. and like on stage while they're announcing iOS 12, mentioned that, that AirPlay 2 and Messages in the Cloud is also in an iOS 11 update that's available. Like they'll get applause for that or something, but it would have been on the same stage where they announced those features a year before. It's pretty wild. But um, this this is our conversation about this. Like they pulled stuff forward and then they also pushed stuff back. And uh, so you get AR Kit 1.5, but you also get no AirPlay 2. And um, 
you know, it, 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 we've talked about it before. It is, Apple has stuff that's not ready and they've decided not to ship it. And on one level, that's really good, especially with messages in the cloud that you kind of don't want to mess that up. But it is interesting that 10 months later, uh, from when they announced it, it's still not shipping. That they're still it's still not ready, even though it was in the betas. They put it in the betas. They wanted to test it out. That was great. It wasn't good enough to ship it, so they pulled it back out. And it, presumably, there'll be uh, another iOS beta shortly that will probably have it back in. And it's messages in the cloud. I'm kind of like, okay, right? Like that. I assume is like I assume both of these things are really difficult to do anyway. But like I'm like okay, well I'll wait until that comes because whatever, right? Like it will come when it comes. But AirPlay Two is like a temple feature of a product that now is in my living room. Like that one seems way weirder to me. Yeah. Like that the HomePod should have AirPlay Two in it, so like all of my airplaying will be better on this thing. So I'm not waiting for four seconds every time I press the play button when sending an overcast like podcast to it, right? An overcast stream. Like I want mm-hmm. AirPlay too. I bought a product that should have it in there, right? You told me, you told me when you originally told me about this product that it would include it, and then I kind of gave you benefit of the doubt that it didn't. And this is this is a really weird one to me. Like, what is stopping them? I mean, there obviously must be something really tough with it. Are they going to yeah. do it? Like, is this something they can do? Like, is it? Just, oh, I think it's something they can know. do. But they they obviously had trouble with it and are still working on it. Um, it is the the mystery of the HomePod. The riddle of the HomePod continues, right? Like why that product exists the way it does and when it existed and when they announced it and mm-hmm. when they shipped it and the fact that features are missing even now from it. It's uh, fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, WatchOS 4.3 was released. Um, it restored the ability to control your iPhone's music playback. If you read that and you're like, hang on a second, I don't understand. What this did was it reverted a decision from 4. Point whatever uh, to, I guess, where now you can browse your whole library again, not just what was in the Watch Music app. That's what it changed. Right. So you can now browse your whole library and choose from anything and control the music playing on your phone, not just on your watch. And it also added some HomePod music controls. So you can now like go in with the little audio picker thing and you can control the volume levels of your HomePod with the digital crown and stuff like that. Um, it added activity to the Siri watch face. So now on the Siri watch face, you have like a permanent thing there when there's no other cards that shows your rings and it shows the calories you've you've burned in the day, the amount of minutes of exercise and how many stand hours. Um, previously on the watch, when it had nothing else to display, it just said, have a great afternoon. And so that was kind of pointless. Uh, I prefer <laughs> to have this piece of information there, even though it's guilting me constantly and the fact that I haven't closed my rings. Um, it added also portrait support for nightstand mode. So nightstand mode is when you, if you have your uh, Apple Watch charging on the side, you get the big clock um, at night and you can kind of like bump your nightstand and it lights the watch up. This is now uh, available in portrait mode, which is probably for air power. I did notice, Jason, when you when you put the charge, when you put the, 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 the Apple Watch onto charge, there's a new charge animation. So all of this stuff is for air power if that ever arrives. Uh, <laughs> that product that, who knows where it is? It's out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of this stuff is probably added for that. Uh, when it will come. The HomePod got an update. It's 2.3 gigabytes, just bug fixes. No idea. Uh, this is one of those things I've seen people saying like, oh, I think there's less bass in the HomePod. Like, I can't like believe any of that stuff because 
it's all subjective, right? They haven't yeah. said that it's reduced the base, so I don't know how you how you test that. Yeah, I, I saw several people say that they thought that the um that some songs sounded different, that they were fixing bugs in what they were doing with their processing of of songs, but it's very hard to tell because. Uh, you know, how do you do? You get two home pods and you try very hard for one not to be updated, but th- there's a small window and then it downloads a software update and, and you can't take it off the internet because it needs to use the internet in order to play the music. And it's a challenge is what I'm saying. It's a challenge to, to test that out. And then you've got a library of songs and how do you do that? It's it's hard to say, but I have heard people report that they feel like there were songs that were problematic, that there were the processing on uh on the home pod was weird and that the, it doesn't sound weird now so it may be that they are fixing bugs in their audio processing too but it's so hard to really kind of like categorically say one way or another for that right yeah especially if apple doesn't detail it in some way and mac os 10.13.4 so this is high sierra point four is that right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It added external GPU support, which is something we knew about. Um, there are a, ra- a small range, but a range of products that are available that are supported by the Mac, which is more than just the one that they had originally um, allowed for people to buy during the testing period. So there are there are a range of external GPU products that you can buy, and they are supported now officially by macOS. Um it cannot be used in boot camp with Windows. Right. Which I thought was funny. Um, that you can't do that. So if you think you're going to be able to use your iMac for super powerful gaming now on Windows, that is not going to happen for you. Um, there was something that I saw that wasn't an addition, but something has broken, uh, which I find really unfortunate and interesting. And it's just yet another example of why development can be tricky. Um, Lots of Mac Mac desktop extension software, so a few different programs, one including Duet Display, have been rendered inoperable by this version of Mac OS due to what the developers of Duet Display are calling critical bugs. They have alerted these critical bugs to Apple for Apple to fix them. This seems like a difficult and <laughs> risky situation to hmm. hope that that's going to occur for you. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I So basically something's changed in macOS, which is basically rendering apps like Air Display, iDisplay, Duet Display. They don't work. They just don't work. So these are the applications where you can have an iOS device and a Mac, and you can basically use your iOS device like it's a secondary screen for your Mac. And something in this version of macOS has broken those applications. So whatever API they were taking advantage of or whatever... Um, this is like a, just another example of why some why, whilst there are like some things on on the Mac that you can do because the Mac is open, right? Like you can do this. The weird and wonderful stuff is open to be broken, and then what do you do? Yeah, well, I think this is uh, a good example of why if you rely on stuff that uh, is not stock Apple, that you don't rush to update to 10.13.4 because you never know something like this might happen and it does happen from time to time so if you've got critical stuff that is um that is not stock you know waiting to update until you see an all clear from people who are using or testing 
the stuff you use is always a, a prudent thing. This is a weird one. I, I'd like to think that this is probably a bug that maybe even is related to the eGPU stuff, that there's something different about display stuff in 10.13.4 and they introduced a bug that it's not Apple. I, I think Apple has no motivation to crush these apps. I think that probably it was just they didn't test against these apps and they broke something. And uh, with any luck, it'll get fixed. The bad news is if that you're in 10.13.4 already and you rely on them, you're going to have to find a way to roll back. And even then, you're going to have to wait it out until a 10.13.5 beta or until 10.13.5 drops. Um, I had a funny thing. I'm on 10.13.4 now, and it's very exciting because I was on a beta of 10.13. It might not have even been three. It might have been two. I was on one of those betas, and it prevented... Um, I was not able to update... Um, to another version after that on my iMac Pro. Something weird, I think, with the iMac Pro, um, because it's got the weird, you know, it's got the bridge OS and then it, and it's, and it's got, it's an unusual new system for Apple for, uh, for how the, the, the machine boots and runs. And, uh, I was in a boot loop. <laughs> Every time a new version would download, it'd be like, I'm going to install this now, getting ready to install, and then it would restart or maybe shut down, but then it would restart I would, or I would turn it on and it would end up booting into an installer window and saying, I couldn't install it. Would you like to save an error log? <laughs> and then you like, try. let's try that again. Nope, I still can't do it. And then if you set the your disk as the startup disk, um, it would just boot back into the same beta that I was in before. So I was running a Mac OS beta for... Uh, a couple months, at least. Whoops. Um, and amazingly, ten thirteen four actually installed. Well, that's and good I news. left. I left the installer loop behind, which is, and it's one of those things where it was a beta, right? So, like on one level, I'm like, well, it's a beta. I did. I did this to myself. On another level, I'm thinking to myself, how do I get out of this beta? And I tried, like, I tried downloading a full installer of of the most recent version of high sierra and putting them on an external drive and installing from that and turning off all of the security settings on the iMac so that you can actually boot from an external drive and install and it was like oh i need to download some components to add to this and i thought oh that's pretty cool that the mac os uh, installer knows that i'm on the iMac pro and it needs a couple other pieces so it downloads it and then it restarts and says now i'm installing it and guess what it, then it would reboot and say oh i had an installation error and i couldn't install sorry would you like to save a log and uh, yeah, so uh, that led to lots of concern. But uh, the good news is I am now off of the betas and on 10.13.4. And I guess I just won't use Duet dis- Display. <laughs> but at least I'm not on a beta now. Now, I did think to myself, like, whilst Apple may not have decided to do this, like, you know, it's 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 easy to assume that just something changed and broke it. I wonder if like iOS 12 be like, hey, you can now use your iPad as a secondary <laughs> display. And like the reason it broke it was because they've been building their own system. Who knows? Well, like, it'd be kind of funny to me uh, in a very sad, sad way because that's how Sherlocking goes. There's a Kickstarter um, project that has already closed that's out there, that, and I forget the name of it now. It's but by the Astro it, it's people. A, yeah, that's it. And they have a hardware thing that you pop in to mini DisplayPort or USB-C. And then it transmits that to the Mac. And that always that, that has struck me as I've read about it as a safer solution because they're not hacking 
they're not kind of hacking the graphics card, which is what these other ones are doing. Yeah, it's tricking and, the, 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 the system into thinking that another display is attached. Yeah, well, basically, the, the, the little thing you attach... Um, is another is display, essentially right? yeah. an external display, mm-hmm. right? It's a hardware external display, and it's saying, here I am, and that external display is then transmitted, the data is transmitted to the iPad. Um, and that, I, I wonder if that works still. I bet you it does, but I don't know for sure, because that's still in beta. And I haven't shipped it yet. As is usual when we talk about these things on the show, iOS 11.4 has been ceded to developers. Don't know what's yep, in it yet, as because... We, as we talked... And not enough people have been able to dig into it at this point to talk about what's in there. But, I mean, we are naturally assuming that ClassKit and Schoolwork will be in there because that's what we knew was going to be in it. Um, Who knows if AirPlay 2 and Messages in the Cloud are in there. You will probably know by the time you're hearing this. If you just go to the links in the show notes, it will say. Uh, Hello, future people. All right, let's do some hashtag AskUpgrade, but today's AskUpgrade is brought to you by PCalc, the scientific calculator you didn't even know that you needed. PCalc is designed for engineers, students, or anybody looking for a great calculator, and it's available for the iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and even the Apple TV, in which you can uh, do your multiplications with game controllers if you want to. One powerful feature of the iOS version of PCalc is the ability to create your own custom layouts. Let's say you're on holiday and you want a specific currency conversion button whilst you're using your calculator. You can make one easily. PCalc is like a calculator construction kit. But if you want more, you can add your own functions, unit conversions, and constants into the app as well, and they will even sync automatically to all your devices. There's a wide array of settings to customize every aspect of PCalc, including how it looks. To give you an idea of the level of customization, there are more than 40 alternative icons that you can choose from for PCalc. It's wonderful. PCalc works seamlessly with iPad multitasking, so you can use it in split screen alongside another app. And it even includes drag and drop support. And there's also a notification center widget, uh, which is a full calculator on iOS and macOS. For engineering types, PCalc optionally supports marking calculations via reverse Polish notation, which I obviously don't need to explain any further because me and Jason know exactly what this means as we're both certified math experts. Right, Jason? You know mm-hmm. all about reverse Polish notation. That's, that's right. What you do... Mike is you take a Polish sausage and then you <laughs> eat it the other the, the other way. Yep. Yeah, that's how it works. If you're still in the mood for yet another Easter egg, PCalc has the most elaborate about screen, uh, maybe since Microsoft hid an entire flight simulator inside of Excel. Uh, the PCalc about screen is one of my very favorite things on all of iOS. Um, so yeah, you should just Go down there, load this app, and try it. You can search uh, in the App Store for PCalc, or if you go to pcalcpcalc.com slash upgrade, you can get more details. That's pcalc.com slash upgrade for more details about PCalc. Our thanks to PCalc for their support of this show and Relay FM. Uh, we're outside of the ad now, so I would just say PCalc is one of my very favorite apps on iOS. Uh, if you have yet to try it, you should try it. It's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Yep. Hashtag ask upgrade. First, we have a question from Jeff. Jeff wants to know, do you think that something like the Logitech Crayon could come to an iPhone model in the future? So I have a couple of thoughts about this. One, I am just waiting for the Logitech Crayon to go on sale generally now because people seem so excited about it. Um, I think at some point there's going to be a product like this which comes out to the masses. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and I, I mean, I was on the books of predicting that the iPhone 10 would have... Uh, 
Apple Pencil support. I still think it will happen in the future. Do you? Yeah, I I think it's inevitable that it will happen. The question is, what form will it take? Um, and is Apple is the crayon a hint that Apple Pencil may change, and how Apple's approach to writing may change? And I don't know because a crayon uses a different system. It's not Bluetooth. It's a single radio frequency. It doesn't pair. Instead, it's proximity based. So you can use that crayon on an iPad and then literally just move it over to another iPad and write on it, and it totally works. Which the Apple Pencil is doesn't. I would work love like that, that because I currently have two Apple Pencils. I would like to just have one Apple right. Pencil. <laughs> right, and so it could be that people are like, "Oh, well, you know, why does it only work with this uh, one iPad and not the all the other iPad Pros?" And the answer is because they're using this new technology, and it it wouldn't shock me if it if they might be doing that for other devices too down the road. And if they do that, yeah, maybe maybe that's a thing that they could they could put in an iPhone. Uh, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me and and they're going to have if this iPhone 10 Plus is real where it's even larger than the iPhone 10, that would be potentially a natural for a uh, for some sort of uh, optional uh, stylus input. Yeah. I I honestly I would be surprised. I would be really surprised if Apple has this like 700-inch iPhone 10 Plus without without a pencil. Cuz like the rumors are like, you know, getting up there to 7 inches, like 6.7 or something like that if I remember off the top of my head. It's basically an iPad mini. Like you're getting real close to the iPad mini. It'd be kind of I think it'd be kind of nice. Worth the wait and see. Uh-huh. Uh Jason asks, this is not you, this is another Jason. Not me. Uh, why do people want the bezels on the iPad to go away? The bezels serve a better purpose on the iPad than on the iPhone, surely. Jason, when when we talk about the bezels going away on an iPad, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think the top and the bottom, the forehead and the and the feet, I don't know where the button is, like I get that you want to hold your iPad by the corners. I get that. Uh, but they've already reduced the bezel on the sides and it doesn't bother me like it hasn't affected it at all and the idea there is you can get more more screen in a smaller device and that either makes the ipad smaller or it makes the screen bigger and those are both good things so you know i i don't expect that the ipad needs to be iphone 10 like in its lack of bezel but there's a lot of bezel space left to be slimmed down, I think, in the yeah. iPad. I want to see the the thickness that's on the long sides the whole way around. Like, really small, right? You know, the, 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 I, I wonder if it's, like, proportionally like the iPhone. I don't know. Like, I'd have to do some mathematics, probably using PCAP to work out that. But I, when I hold my iPad in portrait mode, I'm not accidentally touching things like you know, the the palm rejection is very good still, right? I I don't think anyone is expecting or really asking for just the front of the iPad to be only a screen, right? But the what we refer to as bezelless, there is a there is a uh, a continuum of no bezels, uh, which goes from zero to the iPad, and it's all referred to as not there not being any bezels. But what everybody really means is just very thin. Right, and that's what I want. Very thin is what I'm looking for. Right. Virginia asks, was there a day when Apple's education discounts were more aggressive? Urban legend has it that Apple IIs were basically given away. Do we know if, if this is the case, Jason? 
Um, well, Apple's education discounts were much more aggressive back in the day. That I would say that although we think of Apple's products as expensive today in a lot of places, they, they, you know, you got to keep in mind back in the earlier days of computing in the early days of the Mac, you know, a lot of these Apple computers were multi multi thousands of dollars at a time when that would that would be like even more cost today. Yeah, like maybe like um, ten pri- grand today or something, right? For like yeah, his, his, Apple II. historically. The prices have come down in terms of real dollars from back in the day, but that meant that also yes that with with larger prices came larger discounts. So there, that is true. It used to be that if you knew somebody who was in college, and you could get them to buy you a Mac at their college um, sales outlet, which all colleges had computer sales outlets. I'm not sure if they still do. I think UC Berkeley shut theirs down or moved it into the bookstore and all that. But there used to be like the Scholar's Workstation at UC Berkeley. And that's where I bought my PowerBook 160. And you got a good deal. You got a really good deal. Like that was the place to get a computer if you, if you, uh, an Apple computer, if you could, if you knew somebody who was eligible and you had to prove your eligibility and show your student ID and all to be an active student. And you were limited to like buy one computer a year or something so that it wasn't abused. But um, it was a little bit like knowing somebody who works at Apple and having them buy a computer for you. You could get a big discount that way too. So uh, There are still education discounts, like individual student education discounts today. You can get like 10 or 15% off some stuff. Yeah, some some stuff. It's still there. It's just not like it was. No. It's just not like it was. Um, and, and as for the urban legend, um, I think this the source of this is that um, uh, Apple gave an Apple II to every public school, I, I believe, in California at one point. Wow, that was that huh. was their initiative, and and that is the source of that legend. And I think it's the source of the narrative about how like you catch them early and they're your user for life. Um, but that's the story um, that that Apple Apple gave an Apple II to every school in California. Elijah asks, "Do you think that the Apple Watch will ever be sold as a separate, complete computer without the need for an iPhone?" Like I feel like that's the eventual goal, right? Like that's the logical end game of the product. Yeah, I think it's most likely that what it'll be is like an airport. Where you know it'll be independent, but you'll need an app to set it up. And okay, I wonder what airport you were referring to. It's like if San Francisco come International in whenever they airport. <laughs> no, um, like the the airport base station. You know, you can you don't need a Mac for that. Even you can use an iOS app for that. You can mm-hmm. use an iPad app for that. I wonder if that might be the future of the Apple Watch. That they'll, they'll still want you to sign in somewhere like are they going to really make you put in your apple id by by finger on the little or like by emoji on the uh, on the apple watch so it may be that they make it that you can you know hold that apple watch near any ios device or even other devices um and you know put or put in a code or whatever and configure it and then have it be up and running it could be like it would be nice if you didn't need an iphone to at the, at the very least, what they're going to try to do is make it less and less dependent on the iPhone, right? Like, I can see, I think it's more likely that sooner you'll have an Apple Watch that won't go talk to the iPhone for everything. Like, if it's in your home network, 
like it doesn't need to glom onto your iPhone, use your iPhone cell connection or whatever. It's just, it's on the Wi-Fi. It's doing its own thing. It doesn't need to check back with data on the iPhone, which is how it started. So um, I think we'll get there first because the setup, the setup is the trick. I think that that there's a lot that goes on in the setup process that you kind of want another device for at this point. But I think beyond that, having it be independent from an iPhone, um, would be nice if you if you have two iPhones and one watch like you should be able to go with either one and have it work fine and you have two watches and one I, I whatever your combinations are I, I think it should be less tied to the iPhone but I'm I, I feel like the setup is going to be the last remember how long it took for iOS devices to be able to be set up on their own it actually yeah took like quite a while. I think of the watch to the iPhone as the iPhone was to the Mac right like that like there was a time where you had to set it up and then sync all of your contacts and data and podcasts through those two devices and then eventually like it could use all that data and pull that data on its own from the cloud and then slowly just more and more of it went away to the point that now you can own an iphone without ever owning a computer right there is no computer needed anymore to have an iphone and so like i imagine it going that kind of route i also imagine a future jason where we don't even need our iPhones because we have our Apple Watches and our glasses and those two things talk to each oh, other, yeah. right? And then that's that. That's your computer. I don't... I, honestly, like, I see that as a thing, but I am of the Marco Arment school of don't bet against the smartphone. Like, the, even though that will exist, I still think people will want smartphones as well or, like, whatever those pocket computers become, which is more than just this floating UI in front of your face. But we'll wait and see. Uh, and Brent asked, what stock apps do you use on iOS? So I went through this. I picked out a selection of applications that I use frequently. Of course, there are many applications that, uh, that Apple make that I use every now and then, like Find My Friends or something. But I don't really consider that as like an app that I use a lot. So I use Safari and Mail. Uh, whilst Chrome is my browser that I use typically even on iOS, um, Links open in Safari. There's <laughs> nothing I can do about it, so I use Safari a bunch. Uh, a mail because I have a constant fight with all email applications. Uh, obviously, I use Messages, um, and I use Apple Music as my music service of choice. Uh, I use the health and activity apps for workout and stuff and for checking those that data. I like the way that it represents that stuff. Um, I use Notes as my Notes app. I use Notes for so much stuff. Um, basically, everything unless it's long form text which i typically use bear for these days uh and i use the files app i use the files app as the way to try and look into all of my uh, iCloud like cloud connected services i use icloud and dropbox mostly so I use the files app and the camera um third party cameras are lovely and never as good as like they're never as accessible and fast and simple as the camera that apple puts into every phone so that's my list jason what about you uh, yeah, Safari Mail, Messages, Music, Reminders, and Notes. Um, Do you use the calendar? I don't. Okay. You fan- I use Fantastic Cal. Too. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, camera, sure. Photos. Do you use Notes? Do you use Apple Notes or do you use something else? Yeah. Okay. No, I use Apple Notes. So, yeah, I mean, they're, I think... They're kind of like the standard these days. And then there are other ones that you can or can't use depending on like, so, you know, got like reminders and stuff like that. Not everybody uses that. The podcast app is is good, but not everybody uses that, right? Like there are a bunch of these other applications, but I think kind of the list that we have probably similar for most people that that listen to this show, I would expect. 
All right, so that is it for today. Thank you so much for sending in uh, your hashtag AskUpgrade questions to close out the show. Just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade and they go into a document for us to pull from. And also, if you have a question you want uh, us to start the show with, use the hashtag SnellTalk and that will go into another document so we can open the show and close the show in the fun ways that we do. I want to thank our sponsors again for their support of this episode, Pingdom, Casper, and Peacock. Um, don't forget that, that we are doing a live show. Uh, Relay FM is doing a live show at WWDC. There is still a small amount of tickets available. If you go to autconf.com, you can get tickets uh, for our Relay FM live show. Um, we'd love to see you there if you're going to be in uh, San Jose for WWDC week. Uh, if you want to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 187. You can find Jason online. at uh, He's on Twitter at jsnell, and he writes at sixcolors.com. And Jason produces many, many, many podcasts at theincomparable.com and at relay.fm. You go to relay.fm slash shows, and you can find uh, many shows that we do here. For example, you can listen to Free Agents or Download or Liftoff, which is some shows that Jason produces at Relay FM, I am on Twitter. I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. I also make many shows at Relay FM. I, if I was to list them to you now, I would definitely forget one of them. So yeah, just, don't do it. Just, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to break any hearts. So go to relay.fm slash shows and you can find many shows there. Pick out something. There's going to be something else that you like. Even if you think you've already subscribed to all of the Relay FM shows that you want, I bet there's at least one more in there. We have lots of great stuff. Um, Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Class dismissed. I should have said that last week.